Rocky Top Sunrise is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. On this episode of Rocky Top Sunrise, podcasters Holly and Cassie speak with Justin Pearson, a co-founder of Memphis Community Against the Pipeline. Together, they dissect and discuss the Bahalia Connection Pipeline and the ongoing environmental injustices happening right now in Memphis, Tennessee. One, two, one, two, three, four. Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Storm surge and fires burn, but you don't hear the call. Cause fossil fuels can pay you, does it weigh on you at all? Does it weigh on you at all? Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Rocky Top sunrise uh, my name is Cassie I use she her pronouns and I am coming to you from Cherokee land on in Franklin Tennessee and I am the leader of the sunrise Franklin hub down here and I'm here with my co-host Holly and we have a very special guest who we will announce in a moment but Holly how's it going uh, I'm doing swell uh, we have like the coolest guest ever today <laughs> absolutely we do yeah, um, I'm calling in from Cherokee and Shawnee land uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And yeah, we are super excited to be talking about the latest chapter in the struggle for environmental justice that's happening really close to where the movement started uh, in Memphis. And um, we were already kind of talking about this before we started recording, but Black neighborhoods have always been like a, a point of what policymakers or companies see as least resistance. And um, Justin, who's our guest today, and Memphis Community Against the Pipeline are doing some really amazing work to prove uh, the oil companies that not only is Memphis not a point of least resistance, but uh, it's a place of really amazing community and strength. And uh, we're really grateful to be able to uh, talk with them today and uh, hear about uh, what Justin's been up to and how we can help. Justin, w- would you mind just kind of giving just a broad background on the Bahalia pipeline? Who wants the pipeline and who doesn't and, and why? And just kind of like, I don't know. And, and feel free to mix in, you know, some of your background with that and kind of where you come from in this fight. Happy to. And again, uh, Cassie and Halle, I am uh, very honored and excited to be here with you. I'm Justin J. Pearson, one of the co-founders of Memphis Community Against the Pipeline. I use the pronouns he, him, and I am honoring the land of the Chickasaw uh, Nation, where I am here in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we are in one of the largest environmental justice fights in the country. Uh, without a doubt, uh, we are experiencing environmental racism. Uh, and potential environmental degradation that will ruin the drinking water of over a million people in our city because $2 billion oil companies by uh, uh, Valero Energy Corporation and Plains All-American created this LLC by Haley, a pipeline uh, to build a 50-mile pipeline from Memphis down to Marshall County, Mississippi, operating at 1,500 PSI to send oil for export. 
Uh, and they're doing that through Westwood, Foxtown, South Memphis, uh, which is 97% Black African-American with average income of $26,000 a year. There's mm. no uh, coincidence of that. Now, I'm from that community. Uh, my folks are from Westwood. My two grandmothers, God rest both their souls, and we can talk about this later, buried in 38109. And so I have a particular affinity for this community. And I graduated Metro High School, which nice. is only a few blocks away from where they're trying to build this pipeline. And so my family and I are really invested and involved as our co-founders, Kathy Robinson and uh, Kizzy Jones as well. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's, it's just, I, I mean, I've been following along with, with the fight again, Justin is with, as, as he said, Memphis Communities Against the Pipeline is one of the co-founders, extraordinary leaders from that group who's fighting tooth and nail to make sure that this pipeline doesn't go through your communities. And I guess, can you, I mean, you definitely touched on this and the fact that you're from there and went to high school, like blocks away from where this would be potentially, hopefully not. And with, you know, with all the fight fighting that you're doing, it, it won't be. Um, but can you just give like a brief history or, or a longer, you know, just like a, a history of these communities that, um, that this pipeline would be impacting and of course, as you said, they're majority, vast majority black. And, um, you know, as you said, like lower income and, you know, just definitely have not been, I don't know, just in the development of the city doesn't seem to have been prioritized in the way that it should have been or has that it should have been. But can you talk a little bit about like, especially, you know, Boxtown, you know, there's a, a really rich history, it seems to that, um, to that part of Memphis and then also the communities surrounding it. Can you just kind of talk about um, these communities that this pipeline would be impacting? Sure. Well, it's important to know that in communities that have been deemed by Mustafa Santiago Ali, he coined the term sacrifice zones, uh, there are people right. and there are people who are resilient. Uh, but Black communities, Indigenous communities, communities of color uh, suffer more uh, because they're disinvested in. Uh, historically, that's the case in this country. And it's something that we have to combat and it's something that we have to address as a nation if we're ever going to get something closer to justice, as uh, Brian Stevenson might say. Uh, so South Memphis was redlined in the 1940s uh, to be a predominantly black community. In fact, at the riverfront of the city used to be all black until gentrification happened. But this part of Memphis, it remained all black. Uh, and this community then suffered uh, because of it. And so today, uh, there are 17 toxic release inventory facilities in Southwest Memphis. Today, there's wow. a risk of cancer four times higher than the national average. See, those are inheritances oh of a history of oppression in this community. And at the same time, you have a people who are extraordinarily resilient, folks who have bought their homes. Home ownership in South Memphis is roughly 61% people who care about where they come from and who they are, right? That too is a part of the history of Southwest Memphis, Westwood and uh, Walker Homes and Boxtown. And Boxtown connects for black folks in particular in a deeply personal way. We were enslaved in this country for hundreds of years uh, and uh, upon the end of slavery received nothing, nothing at all. No land, no money, no resources. And so folks literally had to use in scraps to figure out how they were going to make it. And Boxtown did that. In fact, it gets its name because the people who live there use the materials from boxcars to build their homes. 
See, that spirit of resilience and community still lives there. In fact, it's in the DNA of some of the residents who live in Boxtown to this day. And it is the voice of the people that's rising up. Right? This movement started out of Southwest Memphis. But that rich history doesn't dissipate just because people seek to destroy it. In fact, what we're seeing now is that a disempowered and disinvested in community is being empowered by being more proximate to people with power, whether that mm -hmm. be financial or social or political. And across the city, we're starting to see the relationship between our most important natural resource, our drinking water, actually unite a city that has far too long separated itself based on race and separated itself based on class. Uh, and so it's a beautiful thing to witness. And it's a transformation that is long overdue. Yeah. Yeah, that it's so beautifully put. Um, I'll, I'll turn it over to Holly. Holly, if you want to comment or ask another question. Yeah, I was. Um, so you mentioned the uh, that, of course, it's going to contaminate the drinking water and not obviously intuitively getting gasoline in your waters is pretty bad. And, and uh, we, there have been reports that even as much as like a gallon is going to be ha having terrible, terrible effects. Um, but that's going to affect like the whole city of Memphis, right? That's right. So one of the, the, the worst environmental impacts is going to be to our city's drinking water. We are the largest municipality in the world, uh, definitely in the country, that relies solely on groundwater for 100% of our water source, 100%. Mm. <clears throat> no need for service water. Uh, as it relates to our survivability. And that makes us really unique. And so we have a responsibility and obligation as citizens, particularly in this area, to say we should never do anything to threaten that drinking water. Yeah. Uh, and so right now, and we'll talk about this, but the city council is voting to be the first city council in history uh, this upcoming Tuesday to protect Memphis's drinking water. We've wow. never had it happen. No one protects it to date. Uh, and it will impact all of Memphis. We mm -hmm. will have crude oil. It's actually, I could argue, worse than gasoline. And that crude oil has benzene. It has carcinogens, mm -hmm. uh, cancer-causing chemicals that would be pumped to atop the Memphis sand aquifer until there's a spill. And the Department of Transportation told us, they said, hey, uh, only 7% of oil spills are detected. And so you should anticipate, said the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, a spill to happen. Oh, my God. We can't afford a spill to happen over and into a million people's only source of drinking water. And that's the million people who are living now in this area and region. But we do need to think about what are the future ramifications of this for future generations of people. We've inherited good drinking water, not because we're so good or great. It's just goodness and grace. We have a responsibility to make sure that we can pass that forward for future generations so that one day when we're ancestors, uh, we'll be sure that that natural resource is protected for those folks too. Yeah. Wow. That, that, that's, that is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I know that, um, that there's a lawsuit that's happening against the army Corps currently. And I believe if it's the same, I'm assuming it's the same court case that there's a, a, a delay in the next court hearing. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that, um, that lawsuit that was brought against them over the pipeline permit? Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of different court cases happening. Oh, okay. So one is related to the nationwide permit 12 against the U S army Corps of engineers. 
There is another court case where uh, Bahali actually sued people in Memphis because they refused to give up their land. Wow. So they want to take it. Uh, and those are the eminent domain cases, which gotcha. have been pushed to May. Uh, but the Nationwide Permit 12 case, which is against the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and MCAP is one of the folks who have sued uh, with the support of the Southern Environmental Law Center, which is just an extraordinary group of people. Um, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, because they're acting in violation of federal laws, uh, such as the National Environmental Policy Act, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers has a responsibility to protect people's drinking water. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has a responsibility of protecting citizens. They're the government. They're supposed to care. Uh, and instead, they're approving a permit that literally cuts the community out of the process. And pipeline companies across the country are using this mm. in order to go through Black, Indigenous, lower wealth communities without ever having to talk in a public forum about it. Mm. And so you'll hear about line three and line five and Mountain Valley and Dakota Access Pipeline and Penn East. All of these pipelines are using this particular type of permit to cut community voice out of the process. And Interesting. there's a huge regulatory gap because you're supposed to make sure that any decision has a complete understanding of the ramifications uh, on a social aspect as it relates to environmental justice. Uh, and these do not. And so the U.S. Army Corps has abdicated their responsibility, and it's the wrong decision. And we believe that the courts are going to agree with us uh, that, that this pipeline company should never have been granted uh, a, a general 404 permit, and that they need to go back and they need to apply for an individual permit that does a true study of the danger to the aquifer, and that includes the voices of the people in the community of Memphis, as well as Mississippi, who don't want this pipeline either. And it's not just with pipelines either, right? It's like that in Nashville, they've used highways to separate low-income Black communities. It happens all over the place with landfills and like other toxic waste facilities or power plants. All, I mean, all even, even the potential Oracle deal, not a, sorry to just interject real quick, like this is a completely different company. It's not something where it's going to actually like, you know, affect, you know, the natural resources, but just in terms of like having zero community input and being rushed. But Holly, please continue. <laughs> yeah, I was just, um, I don't know a whole lot about uh, this case in particular, but um, my understanding is that eminent domain is where the government buys private property for public use. That seems pretty against an oil company making a pipeline right through someone's neighborhood to me. That's exactly right. And the law is 100% on your side, uh, Attorney Holly. <laughs> there is no public use for this oil. It doesn't even stop in Memphis. It's going and being shipped down uh, to uh, St. James, Louisiana, we believe. Uh, and so their argument that they can use eminent domain because it's for the public use is entirely wrong. And a part of the reason we believe they have delayed uh, going to court until May is because they know that this is true as well, that they're going to lose in court, uh, that there is no way in anyone's court that they would be able to or be allowed to use eminent domain. But we can't talk about uh, the, the, we can't miss the opportunity to talk about what their threats of eminent domain have done. Dozens of people have lost their land because they can't afford to fight in court. Oh, man. Right? 
Like that's the ramification. We're talking about lower wealth folks. We're even talking about some people who have a little bit more wealth, but whose attorneys told them there's, well, do you no good? Wow. Right. And to your point, Holly, we know eminent domain. We, we saw it cut through lower income neighborhoods. We saw that and those policies were, were done by the government, right? Based on race and racism. And now private companies are trying to pull from that same playbook to perpetuate racism and classism and injustice in the way this country has done too long, but they run up against Memphis and Shelby County and a lot of our supporters across the state in this country who are saying, no, it's we're, we're in a justice fight just as much as we're in an environmental fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess what, what are also some of your opinions on, you know, just, just kind of touching on what Holly was saying and what you've been saying about how this is not in the public good. This is something that if for so many different reasons, health reasons, economic reasons, you know, justice, racial justice reasons, um, you know, not a decision that's going to benefit the people. And then obviously for climate change, which is kind of <laughs> right. tying all of this together, essentially, um, like, what are, what are your thoughts on, on just the fact that, so much of this, you know, with, with imminent domain, you know, and, and with the, you know, as you said, like the army is supposedly, you know, like supposed to like protect the people, the government is supposed to protect the people essentially um, in all of these different ways. Um, the fact that like the money aspect, the, the capital aspect of all of this is what is like the true power behind this. That's like for some, I, it, that it's just gotten to the point where it's so much more powerful, seemingly, <laughs> seemingly, <laughs> than, um, than, you know, people, but it's, I mean, it's not actually, it's, and you, you are currently proving that. Um, but I, I guess just like, what are, what are your thoughts on just the power that it does, the sheer power that it does have? In our society, we value money more than people. Uh, and it's a tragedy because there is a very real spiritual and material loss when we operate in that way. Everybody needs money to live. I get it. Mm -hmm. right? You want nice things, all, all that. And I, I, I hear the specious argument of oil companies. Well, you want toothbrushes. You, well, do you like tires? But I'll, I'll tell you, I'll walk if it means I get to have clean water. Right. I'll, I'll use a a cotton t-shirt and brush my teeth with that if it means I'll be able to use and turn on the faucet, right? Mm -hmm. Versus trying to boil my water as we had to do during the uh, uh, winter storm. People, some people value money more than human beings. And this is a case in point of that, where a corporation values the billions and billions of dollars they make more than 80-year-old Clyde Robinson's acre and the family picnics that he has there and the memories he has there from being on that land for over 64 years. See, people only associate value to what they can, they can, they can see in a bank account. But there's so much intangible or intangible things that we can calculate as individuals and as people, right? You can't quantify uh, love, right? But yet uh, 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 people try and capitalize on it. 
right? That, that's what our system it mandates us to do. We have to put profits over people, right? Like mm -hmm. that's just, and, and unfortunately we will convince ourselves that like that's the right thing to do. And we have because we have determined that there are certain some there are some people in our society cassie that are expendable yeah and ultimately that's the challenge we've determined that if your skin is darker you have less value if your parents didn't go to a certain school or you didn't go to a certain school you as a human being have less value and until we shift our paradigms to the fact that every human has value and it is the responsibility of government yes it is the responsibility of, of of citizens yes to care about the human dignity and value inherent in people more than inanimate corporations but we're not there yet and so we're having a fight two multi-billion dollar companies who are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in advertisements hiring people to follow me around at every speech that i give virtually we are up against a, a, an enormous machine but there's nothing more powerful than people power because there's still only two companies but there really are hundreds of millions of us hell yeah that was a great that <laughs> that was great <laughs> that is absolutely true i was uh, recently listening to an episode of between the covers which is like a literary podcast and um one of the guests was natalie diaz who's a poet and she was talking about how after in both cases of the dakota access pipeline and the keystone pipeline which both run through indigenous lands um she was talking about how the oil companies were building the pipelines and there were many, many community members who were protesting those pipelines being built and they got built anyway. And inevitably there was an oil spill and um, the water was contaminated, but people are still living there. It's still their land and communities that these companies are trying to erase in recent memory, it's the communities around the Dakota Axis and Keystone pipelines, but now it's in Memphis. It's it's definitely got me thinking about how it's almost kind of like just like a, a continuing like apocalypse that never stops. It, and this this goes to the point, Halle, that Cassie was making with these corporations that seem so powerful, and they win because they have a playbook sometimes, right? And that sometimes they have a playbook in which they operate. But it was people who elected a president uh, who canceled a pipeline on day one, right? It was people who said that they care about the climate and now there's an ambassador on climate change, right? Like that, those things are not accidental incidents, right? That is uh, the true demonstration of what people power can do. Uh, and eventually and ultimately it, it is going to have to affect policy. And we want it to affect policy because we want to do what's right. It is right that we protect communities that have been here for 10,000 years. It is right that we repair the relationships with those communities and with the descendants of enslaved people. It is right that no one goes hungry. It's right that people are housed. It's right that you don't have to worry about your water being contaminated by corporate billionaire companies. Right, it, 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 these things are, are right. And if we can convince 
through policy, through advocacy, through protesting, through marching, through arrest, um, and sometimes through the tragedy of what happens uh, when when accidents happen and, and spills occur, uh, uh, if if we can start to push people to operate in a way that's more just, we will stop seeing, we will suffer fewer losses, right? And that's what I'm really proud of Jane Klebe out of Bold, Nebraska, who did a lot of work on, on uh, Keystone XL. She's working to start a pipeline fighters hub uh, to start galvanizing all of us who are fighting these pipelines because the companies have a playbook. We need right. to have a playbook. Right. What does it Absolutely. look like when frontline communities all have a playbook and it's just like, here's who you need to call. Here's what you need to advocate for. Here are the attorneys to reach out to. Right. We start developing our own power source. And so, yeah, the fights right now against Bahalia, we're going to beat that. And then we're going to share our information with what's happening over here. And we're going to share our information, what's happening over here and make that um, uh, less asynchronous to where everybody's Amazing. pretty much starting from zero. Right. Like that's that is what we can do collectively. Right, right. That, I mean, that's that's just like is such a great synthesis and explanation of, of of kind of what we what you were touching on and what we've been touching on of of just the the way that change gets made ultimately is people power and it's you know, um you know working class you know people who who live in these communities communities that as as you've said have not been has have been disinvested in essentially, uh, but there's so much power in the solidarity between those you know all the people that kind of like hit those hit those marks, you know, the people who are not part of the status quo, the people who don't have capital behind them, but they have numbers they have. Exactly. And that is how change has been made historically. Like pretty much you can point to pretty much any positive change that's ever happened yeah. <laughs> as um, there, there are numbers behind it. There are numbers of people in solidarity who don't come from the status quo that have been pushing for it and agitating for it and, you know, being strategic about it. Um, and sharing sharing resources. I mean, that is that is a really phenomenal um, thing that <laughs> that is that is happening that you will be doing, and that this uh, woman from Nebraska, from the Dakota Access Pipeline, has has kind of started. Um, because I mean, that's that's how you get it done. It's so funny. I joke sometimes about how in Sunrise, it's like so much of our organizing gets done in like Google Docs. Like, <laughs> right? Really? Sometimes it's too much, but it's like they, that sharing resources is really fantastic. <laughs> you have to. Yeah, because because we're constantly iterating, we're constantly learning, and we're getting better, right? This pipeline fight is further along uh, as further along as it is in a shorter period of time because of what was happening with Dakota mm -hmm. Access, right? It's because of what was happening at Standing Rock that the uh, institutional and organizational and uh, national legal knowledge is further advanced than it would have been if this was the first pipeline fight this decade, right, or this this, this century, but it's not. And so folks are allowing us to learn and share and show that we can win these. Um, and really there's an urgency, we must win these um, if we're gonna have a planet. Right. If we're gonna be on the planet, the planet is gonna be- <laughs> That's true. That's always the thing is like, I, I say the same thing and then I catch myself. It's like, well, the planet will be fine ultimately. <laughs> like, um, look at, look at we will not be fine. Yeah. yeah. Humanity may not exist, but the plan is going to be here. It's going to be here. It's going to figure it out. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Like in the, in the long term, the, the aquifer will still be there and it'll, it'll renew itself. But in like 500,000 years. Yeah. That's right. Eventually, like it may take care of itself, but that would be without human 
operating right without humans <laughs> doing yeah. what humans do um and the tragedy of it right it'd be a long time because you're breaking down you know uh, uh benzene right like how long does that take to break down in water or any resource right like uh, the ramifications will be throughout the rest of human history um which may not last as long as earth history right yeah and um i know we touched on this right before you know we started um started the podcast but um, I'd love to hear, you, you just met with the uh, White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council today, which is phenomenally exciting. And as you said earlier, just like, you know, the influence that that you all and the climate movement is having on the Biden administration. Um, you know, of course, we personally at Sunrise, like, want him to go a lot farther. But it is also really encouraging that you all were able to speak with them today and also that, um you know, the, the gains that have been made, as you said, the pipeline that was canceled and other other gains that have been made are just, um, you know, we're, we're definitely farther along than we would be otherwise, which is good. Um, but yeah, can, can you just relay some of your thoughts on that? How did that go? What did it feel like to be able to have that access to that you should be having, but just to actually have that? Um, how, how did that go? And what was that like? Yeah, an extreme, extraordinary blessing uh, to be able to speak at the White House uh, Environmental Justice Advisory Council. And to your point, we as a country are further along in our conversation about uh, the climate and environmental justice than we would have been under previous administration. Uh, and that is because we are in a different moment in American history. And so to be a part of that moment uh, today and advocating for Memphis and Shelby County and Northern Mississippi and other folks fighting pipelines was a privilege uh, that I, I don't take uh, lightly or for granted uh, and it, here's the truth. If we do not tackle the problem of climate change and climate justice and racial justice, uh, we will not live in a world that you will want to inhabit. Uh, what is inhibiting a lot of progress with climate change has been uh, racist practices and policies. And so yeah. now, uh, post the lynching of George Floyd, our country is starting to grapple with its racist past and the racism that exists currently in its foundations. And so the fact that Southwest Memphis has those 17 toxic release inventory facilities and four times the, the risk of cancer is not accidental. And we have to start grappling with why are we okay that black people are dying that much sooner than other folks? Why are we okay that a crude oil pipeline company calls the black community the path of least resistance, but ignores going through the wealthier white community that has a more direct line? Mm -hmm. And so today to be able to talk to at the White House, I, again, it is a, a unmerited grace um, to be able to have such an, a huge opportunity to speak to people who can then, you know, send our message to the Biden, Biden and Harry, by the President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States and the, their teams uh, to say, you need to pay attention to what's happening in Memphis. Because if you care about environmental justice, if you care about racial justice, if you care about climate change, then there's no reason your administration should be approving permits to allow fossil fuel infrastructure uh, to perpetuate racism and environmental degradation, because that's what they've allowed. And now is an opportunity for them to rescind those permits and ensure that Bahalia Pipeline actually goes through the appropriate processes 
to get that community input, to consider the drinking water source, and to do right by the community. Uh, th that, that is just uh, decision and policy making, and we have a void of it. And so today, that's what we were talking about in my climate activist and friend, Tim Guinea. Uh, he even spoke about by Haley, and he lives in New York. Uh, this pipeline has not been built, and it does not need to be built. We can stop it, but we got to work now. I think also it's such a testament to the power of you all as a community and in general of the solidarity between um, activists. Um, uh, Joe Lindsay Harris, who's a professor at, um, at UC Boulder, uh, wrote a book in 2019 uh, called uh, From the Inside Out, where she talks about basically, she interviewed a bunch of people at the EPA. And we know from the like, super long history of mismanagement by the EPA, state governments, the Army Corps of Engineers we've been talking about that to be honest, they really don't care about doing their jobs, um, which is why it's so, which I think is why it's so amazing that you guys are able to have that voice uh, directly to uh, the environmental justice uh, committee. Yeah, the interpretation of the statutes just don't seem to be accurate. And from what we understand about how serious government is about the need to protect water and to protect the most vulnerable citizens, uh, we believe it requires further review by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and by even the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation because they approved a permit as well. And we've learned that the permit they approved uh, did not have all of the information in it. Uh, by Halia actually left out extremely crucial information uh, from their app, app, uh, their application. And so there's a pipeline that exists in Memphis currently um, called the Collierville Pipeline. I think it's misnamed because it doesn't really cut through Collierville. Uh, but they have another pipeline that actually connects the diamond and the cap line which is why they say they need the Bihalia pipeline to connect the diamond and cap line. Uh, they also didn't tell Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation that they're running this 1500 PSI crude oil pipeline through the Davis well field, which for us runs through, uh, it's a public utility, Memphis like Gas and Waters well field where they bring the water up. They didn't tell TDEC that. It's like, why are you, why are you leaving out information? And so if you leave out information and I give you a response, if I had that information, I might've given you a different one. And so we're gonna start advocating for TDEC to review that permit as well, because the way that this company is operating and acting, it is not uh, just, it is not right. And it's only uh, to make sure that their shareholders make more billions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... So where where does the where where are you all at in this process right now? Just kind of I know you've hit on some of those points, but just like exactly like where where are you all at right now? Where what are the next things that are kind of the most pressing that are coming up soon? And where does where does it where do things go from here? Well, we have a rally this Saturday. I'm not sure when this airs, Cassie and Holly. But... <laughs> It'll air on Fridays, so we'll definitely, oh, definitely go. If you're in Memphis or in the surrounding area, go tomorrow. Come on. Come on. 
Saturday, 2 p.m., Alonzo Weaver Park, 730 West Mitchell Road. It's going to be good. we got six, seven different organizations locally speaking uh, to rally to protect our water. That's it. We'll have uh, drums and music as well. Uh, but we need folks to come out and show up uh, ahead of what is one of the most critical votes of our campaign. And I will be serious with you. What happens May 4th matters. Uh, our city council deciding whether or not to uh, protect Memphis's drinking water uh, is, is going to matter uh, in the short term and in the long term. And so we need everyone to go to memphiscap.org. That's memphiscap.org uh, and take action. Email our city council and let them know that you want them to pass the legislation, the ordinance to protect the city's drinking water and prevent environmental injustice. Uh, it's extraordinarily important that our city take this step uh, in our fight, not just against the pipeline. Uh, it's not just to prevent them. Um, it is actually to protect our citizens. That's what this is really about. They're going to say, it's, well, you're trying to prevent us from operating. No, we want to make sure we have a good regulatory process in place to protect the people in the city's drinking water. And so we're going to ask three questions to every business that wants to run hazardous chemical materials in our city. One, is it going to endanger our drinking water? Two, is it going to endanger or hurt communities already oppressed by uh, toxic release inventories or pollution, air pollution or ground water pollution or anything of that sort. And three, do you have the financial resources to fix a remediation? Plains All-American is spending $460 million because of a spill they had in Sanford Refugio Beach that Vice President Kamala Harris actually prosecuted them and they had four felonies afterward, after it. But if a person can't answer those three questions, if they say we don't have money to clean it up, we don't care about communities that are already oppressed, and we don't care about your drinking water. We don't want them in Memphis anyhow. Uh, and so we're hoping that this Tuesday, our city council is going to be able to pass this legislation uh, that uh, is a really strong ordinance uh, that we got a lot of good collaboration on. But we need people to reach out to them and say, you can be as brief as you want, protect the Memphis sand aquifer and the people of Memphis. Awesome. Yeah, is there is there definitely... Email, email your Memphis, um, you know, city council, get out there to the rally on Saturday. Um, is it what, what else can people be doing um, to help to help you in this fight? Everyone, no matter where you are, you can join this movement. We need volunteers. We really do. Uh, tinyurl.com backslash MCAPVOL. We need volunteers to help us phone bank because we still have to inform we still have to uh, uh, educate and we still have to activate the community. There are still people in Memphis who don't know about this pipeline project and mm. we need to get that, get the word out in that way and continuing to offer spaces and opportunities for us to share is really important. The more ears we can get on this message, the more we can see our movement build. And on our website, when you sign up to volunteer and when you email our city councilors as a petition, we're nearing 40,000 signatures. And so we want to keep that growing as well to show our city that this matters uh, to, to, to Memphis, but it matters to the state of Tennessee and to our country because the movement lives here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Justin. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been um, really insightful and um, I've learned a lot <laughs> and hopefully our, our listeners have as well. This is definitely an issue that we're, we're going to keep hammering on and um, are just really so grateful for the work that you've been doing. and 
yeah, <laughs> anything we can do to help always just please feel free to reach out and let us know. And we'll definitely link um, your tiny URL and um, and your website, you know, just and the end to the rally directly in the show notes and, and highlight that stuff on our social media. Um, and from the hollers perspective, I, I work for the Tennessee holler as well. So we'll, we'll also do the same on, on our platforms. Um, but yes, thank you so much again. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a real, real pleasure having you on. Cassie, I appreciate you. Holly, I really appreciate you. Uh, we're doing this together. Uh, if it was just me, we wouldn't be anywhere, uh, but we're doing it together and that's going to make all the difference. I'll talk to y'all soon. Okay. Be well. All right. You too. Solidarity. Thank you so much for listening. You just heard uh, Justin Pearson from the Memphis Communities Against the Pipeline. Once again, please do whatever you can from wherever you're at to help support them in the ways that he just described. Get out there to the rally on Saturday if you can, to email your city council members. And uh, once again, you've been listening to Rocky Top Sunrise. Um, and we are part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. You can follow The Holler on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. And be sure to follow all of the other shows that we've got on our network, which is, are very, um, you know, very exciting. And they've got, um, they're highlighting some of the really important issues that are happening here around the state and the, the great people doing the work. Um, to make our state, you know, move in the right direction. So thanks once again for listening and we'll see you again in two weeks.